0: Easy go easy
1: go, that's just how you live. Oh, take, take, take it all, but you never give. Yeah, Bruno Mars, how
0: about that? You was from the
1: first kiss, your eyes wide open. There's no cooler radio program that you're going to listen to than Almarin Radio, trust me. Uh, joining me as proof of that is Carl uh, Marlanis. So, Carl, uh, first of all, uh, good morning, how are you?
0: Good morning good
1: all right all right the uh now uh you're uh you're still you're up at home in uh, what in the state of washington continuing yeah. to continuing to write
0: yep i'm i'm writing another novel i'm on a second draft and you know struggling along it's huge and i got to get it cut down and wrestle to size but yeah that's what i'm doing
1: What's the hardest thing about being a writer? I, I mean, you get up. You can, can you stay in your pajamas all day if you want to. I mean,
0: well, you can, but uh, I don't because it's sort of, it's sort of like a, a symbolic. You know, you you get up and you get dressed to go to work. I mean, because probably one of the hardest things about being a writer is that, is that your your time is completely totally. You know, once once you sort of. Become a full time writer. I mean, for years, obviously, I had another job, but uh, it's that it's that the distractions are immense, and writing is kind of hard work. And so, you know, if you want to do something else, it's like, you know, well, gee, I think the screws in the shop need to be organized according to length. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so so the procrastination for me is is the worst, and and quite frankly, the internet is really terrible. It's a, it's a great tool because
1: I'm with you. I got sidetracked yesterday um, for a little while because I, I got, I'm intellectually curious about the new president of the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Who is that guy? Well, and where did he come from? And how does he get elected? Um, how does he get elected? Well, he's he's a you know he's a politician and he's been a, a prominent. He was a mayor in one of the major cities of the Philippines, and that's his platform. He ran on. Um, hey, I'm going to get the drugs out of here, and I'm going to be hard on these guys, and I'm not afraid of them. And yeah. uh, and then, but he's socially liberal, uh, gay, lesbian, transsexual thing. He's good with all of it, and uh, and so, but he's an interesting guy to think. So I I started going down that rabbit hole, and I'm yeah. and I'm curious, but I'm so I'm I'm sympathetic. I I, I waste uh, too much of my time, I think. Anyway, I wanted to have you on today because uh, the Helmand province is about to go south. Uh, in Afghanistan, and uh, it's a it's a place that uh, Marines fought, and um, and now we owned the whole province when when we were there pr- for the most part. I mean, where we weren't in great numbers, like tends to be in, in in insurgencies, that they they messed around there. But where we were in any strength, there was not a whole lot going on, and now they're the the forces sympathetic to the government of Iraq uh, are uh, encircled in the provincial capital. And which yeah. does not bow well, no matter what anybody says. That we are here with you, we're going to stick it out with you. It reminds me of the whole. In fact, I was just talking to Brigadier General Tom Drowdy about the the word "Vietnamization" of the war, and uh, yeah. and, and and us unassing Vietnam under you know under that polite phrase, and then watching that thing go south. And then he he brought up the boat people of you know just Vietnamese so desperate to get out of there. Fearing the communist takeover, they got on boats not knowing what would happen to themselves and not knowing if anybody would pick them up, but preferring that to remaining in their native land. So, yeah. incredible. No. A tragedy. So I want to have you on because, uh, and, and talk about the aftermath of Vietnam. And, and so I want to paint the picture of going to Vietnam. You grew up post-World War II kid um, with uh, heroes around you. Vietnam shows up. You're uh, at Oxford. Then you go wandering in the desert. that You get ultimately sent back and said, "Hey, right, contact somebody at the Marine Corps. Don't bother me, kid." And uh, and you come on active duty because you thought it was your responsibility um, to serve the way you know that, that the men of your family and the men in your neighborhood had served. Talk to yeah. me about the prism that you viewed before you went to the conflict. Uh, you viewed the conflict, you and you viewed your your duty to your nation. Uh, relative to that conflict?
0: Well, um, you know, I mean, I joined the Marine Corps in 1964, the PLC program. Uh, And uh, at that time, you know, I was just a kid, and I thought that uh, we would only be fighting for the right and and knights in shining armor, and I was pretty romantic about what our mission was. And, and, uh, uh, of course, World War II was, quote, the good war, end quote, guys had fought in it and didn't seem to think, like, think about it that way. but um, So I had that sort of vision, but by 1967, uh, it, that had started to crumble. I mean, I, I was at Yale, and, and friends of mine w- would give me arguments that I couldn't quite counter about what are we doing over there. And But I was in the Marine Corps, um, and I had gone to training with these guys, and I did have this sort of, you know, you serve the Republic sort of of a feeling if you're a young guy I mean sure there's the draft and you know a lot of people you know don't want to pay income taxes it doesn't mean that we shouldn't pay our income taxes if we don't want to it's part of being a member of the republic and so I wasn't sure I wanted to go to war but I felt like I was a member of the republic and I had already signed up and that meant I, I was in a different category so when I was at Oxford I felt guilty because guys that served My high school died in the Vietnam War. It's a little high school. building a government in Vietnam that, you know, we sort of rest a hole in the bag because of the assassination of the like, president too. Right. I began to just feel like, huh. So I just chose the personal. I couldn't solve the political. When I was a young man. I was an officer. I was I got, and and uh, had gotten my commission and I said, I'm going to just get my 43 guys and I'm going to do the best I can with them. And I hope I bring more out alive than would come out alive otherwise. And uh, I didn't succeed in that either, but I tried as I could, and so I just took it personal. I can't personally just stand aside. I can't desert, and I can't stand here drinking beer, you know, with the girls in Oxford. And so that's, that's how I landed on it. I just said, I'm going to go to this war, and I'm going to do the best I can. I signed up.
1: How did the war... When did you know that notice that the war was changing you? Did um, was that not till years later? Did you know when you were in country, uh, by virtue of the things you were doing, the way the the thoughts you had were different? How, how, oh yeah. How, when did yeah. you notice that, that that you as a human being were were were, were beginning to change?
0: Well, I think that um, I started to notice how. Um, I the right word is callous I got about about death and carnage. Um, you know, after a while it was sort of like, um, geez, this is weird, Carl, you know, I mean um we just have these dead bodies here and and to you they're just sort of something that you have to you know, get off the L Z before they smell. It was that kind of you know, and I started to started to see that. And I started to <laughs> catch myself in rages. Um I remember uh, going off on some poor corporal who had had lost a whole bunch of letters that had been written uh, for medals uh, after a a particular battle. And he didn't even lose them. He just said they got lost. And and, uh, I I just went off on him. And then as soon as I... I'd stop, I'd realize, this is not normal, Carl, you're not...
1: In Vietnam, you do you do one tour in, in in Vietnam. You come back, you finish out, and then you you get out. But General Droughty was just on, and he obviously stayed in, in the Marine Corps around its structure, around the support system, around the uh, he stayed in the program. Um, so when you separated from the Marine Corps, um, how did how did that impact you? Now that now you've gone, now you're outside the Marine Corps. Uh, you are growing your hair long and bad mouthing your country like everybody else. How, how did that? How did, how did that? Uh, how did that separation impact you, given your experience?
0: Well, I don't think I ever bad mouthed my country. Right?
1: <laughs> I'm kidding. But That's a line it, in a movie it, someplace.
0: Definitely growing my hair long. I got more dates. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Which we all know so was a, that was that was probably the most immediate uh, <laughs> result of coming out of the Marine Corps. But no, I think that that there's no doubt that uh, when, once you leave the Marine Corps, uh, there, is a, there is this sense of, of um, now what's my place in this giant world as opposed to the smaller world of the Marine Corps, and also you are sort of, you become a, an instant minority, uh, you know. You're just you're just green when you're in the Marine Corps. It's just you're just part of this big group, and sure, there's factions within it, but they're minuscule compared to suddenly leaving, and especially right at, during the time that the Vietnam War was still raging. Um, you know, gee, I'm a I'm a combat veteran, I'm a Marine, and believe me, in places like Yale and Oxford, you're a real, real minority, and so you tend to keep your mouth shut. You don't want to get into political discussions because or people saying, you know, how come you did that? How come you were over there killing babies? You know, all the cliches. And so the isolation is almost immediate. Just don't talk about it. Whereas when you were with other Marines, you could talk about it. It was, you know, it's like, what did you do? Well, I was and Charlie Company. Oh, wait, were we in the Oshawa? No, we we're north of the Oshawa. You know, you could you could talk about it. As soon as you leave, you couldn't talk about it. I think that's a major.
1: The, so, so you, so you essentially become uh, a guy who's going out on a lot of dates, who is internalizing. Um, you know, you, you and I can only imagine you hear the subject come up, right? And it catches your ears because you you, you, yeah. made, your, you made your living there, you lived there. There's a piece yeah. of you there, and and yet you don't say anything because you you don't want to you don't want to go there.
0: No, right. absolutely. I mean, I can tell you this is a true story. Um, I was married, had kids, and uh, my wife had a friend she'd gone to college with, and, and she was married to a guy, and they had kids, kids our age. And Barry and I coached a, a soccer team together, and we'd pick up kids from school for each other, and they'd come over for overnights, and we'd have dinner with them, their house, our house. It was, it was like about ten years after the war, uh, knowing each other that long. That the two women were talking and, and discovered that both of their husbands had been Marines in Vietnam.
1: <laughs> you know, it's okay. it, it's you know, I, I laugh, but I mean, I should cry,
0: right? Yeah, I mean that's how that's how underground we went. It just didn't raise it because he knew if you said it in that in, that, in those days, it would be like, look, just ruin the dinner conversation. I mean, uh, so why, why a, bring it up
1: in a hurry, in a hurry, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, hurry. Be like, that's
1: it. We're, we're out of here. Yeah. Get your coat. Let's go. Yeah. Time to go home. I think the dog needs to be fed. My um, guest this morning, Carl Marlanis, uh, a, uh, a former first lieutenant, United States Marine Corps, infantry officer, a recipient of uh, the, uh, the Navy Cross, and also the bronze star with combat V and a purple heart, if I'm not mistaken, because I got that off your uniform in a picture I saw. Is that right? <laughs>
0: Two purple hearts, because there's a little star on
1: it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> all right two two purple hearts um, and we're talking about the aftermath of vietnam and uh because uh i think there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, current veterans that that watching what they fight for uh essentially go for not uh how that impacts them and so uh so that's what we're talking about the aftermath uh carl what uh talk to me about the first time you saw the vietnam memorial and and what was that like did you did you go to it right away? Yeah. Did you stay away from it? A lot of guys have very
0: mixed feelings about it. Well, first of all, it's on the east coast, and I'm on the west coast, so it, 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 I wasn't going to, you know, get on an airplane and fly to see it. But when I was finally in the Washington D.C. area, I I thought, well, I want to go see this, and I can remember it really, really vividly. It was very early in the morning and cold, like a November day. Mm-hmm. And I got in a taxi, and I said, I want to go to the Vietnam Memorial, and the taxi driver knew where it was, and he let me off, and I remember walking, sort of wondering where it was, and, because, uh, you know, it's underground. Right. right. I couldn't see it right away.
1: It's not your fa- It's came, not your father's memorial.
0: No, not even close. And when I came on it, um, I was struck by it. I, I thought, this is so different, and it, and it's, it's a, it's a, I think it's a beautiful piece of just architecture. And then uh, I went and did the thing and looked up the names. And uh, when I started to touch the names, I mean, I just I fell apart. I absolutely fell apart. And here's something I mean, mean, like You hear these stories all the time. I'm leaning on the wall, weeping, and I have my fingers on a, a guy named Ray Delgado who was in my platoon with me. And I hear this woman's voice behind me. Know Ray Delgado, <laughs> Holy and I turn around. I got tears running out of my eyes. And I go, "Yes," and
1: she said, "He was my uncle." Oh,
0: <laughs> wow! What
1: are the odds of that? And There's zero.
0: Yeah,
1: doesn't happen. It's like in a movie. Nobody believes that. Exactly. No one
0: would believe it. If yeah. you put it in the book of yeah. fiction. They say, oh, "It's
1: so unlikely." Out of, the, out of the fifty-eight thousand names, right on that now a little bit more, but out of, out of that number, yeah. you make your first visit, and she's and she's there. But yeah it, are we did are we, are we in a disney movie what is going on here
0: oh no right. we're in a we're in a very real world where that that sort of thing happens. wow and uh, I think that we get in ourselves into this sort of scientific oh it's just coincidence it's, right. it's like that that is the that's the, the difficult that's that's when they remember when they couldn't quite when they thought the sun wasn't in the center of the universe and so they had these wheels within wheels to explain the retrograde motion and it was just this incredibly complex
1: So you go there. How did how did um, how did going there obviously meeting her how did that impact you?
0: Well, first of all, it, it, it hit me with the mystery of it all. Why is Ray Delgado, you know, niece standing behind me?
1: which is its beauty because it it's emblematic of the struggle that everybody waged. And that is, is one yeah, of the things, it, are, it, artistically, it, that people love about it.
0: Yeah, and it, and it evokes the fact that it's real, you know, 18, 19-year-old kids that are fighting this war. It's not, you know, the Marines or the Army. It's not an abstraction, and that's what I like about that memorial is,
1: I remember the first time I went. Um, I just remember the overwhelming power, not expecting it because I'd, I'd heard this debate about you know that the veterans didn't like it. they wanted something that was more noble that they didn't they, they didn't want it, they'd had enough of protests that that uh, their monument they wanted it to be it, it to be unifying and not and so I remember when I went i mean i I, I certainly wasn't prepared for the power. Of that experience, and I remember being disturbed by it for, I mean, probably to this day. Um, yeah. Because when you stand at the bottom of it, uh, and I remember finding a name uh, of a of a guy who lived down the street. His name was uh, Rick Lumley, and uh, he you know he was killed there. And I remember the the kind of like the olive uh, green car outside the house with the yellow U.S. Army riding on it. And, uh, oh, the, the, yeah, the, the sedan being there for, for, you know, days as, as, you know, after his death. Um, but you, it's, it's such a personal experience. And then you, you look at that and you think every one of those was a real human being with a yeah. real life and a real dream and a real future and all of it, you know, all of it, you know, lost in Vietnam. And then the question is for what? And which, yeah. which leads us to today. So, so, um, over the course of the years um how do you, do you make peace with it um because as a first lieutenant i mean you were involved in the day-to-day killing mm. right of 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 the enemy and and trying to save your own marines uh, yeah. sometimes successfully sometimes not how do you how have you squared that in your own mind or have you
0: well i think i have but again it it like i said i i moved it towards the personal i mean Basically, look, I mean, Vietnam is going capitalist as fast as they can. I mean, we could have just avoided, you know, killing several million of them and close to 60,000 of us, not counting suicides, uh, and ended up in the same place. And uh, so there's that. What was that all about? Um, and and I thought, well, I can't justify that experience. Those people I killed. Um on the grounds of some kind of noble, you know, national defense. We weren't defending America. They, the North Vietnamese army wasn't landing in Malibu and invading Hollywood. Come on. We were doing something else. It was the first, first time that we started to do what we called nation building. That government that, was, that we were, it was our ally, it basically was one we put in place after we assassinated the guy that, in fact, he himself, and boy, pardon my history, but I think his name was true. Sure. Um right. uh but after we we basically let assassination go through, um, we held the bag. And so when then we leave. And like you say, all the boat people and everything else comes. It was a it was a moral failing, in my opinion. Um, I don't think that anybody got into the war. You know, under these sort of conspiracy theories like, oh, no, there was oil in the South China Sea and I right. right. you know, just don't buy that. I think it was you know, I think it was just a, it was a mistake. But those guys that were making those decisions were all World War II veterans, and they had fought real dictators that really were trying to take over the world, you know, Mussolini, Hitler, Stalin. So they thought they they were just going, here it comes again, we got to stop it. Well, they made a mistake. It wasn't here it comes again. The North Vietnamese weren't interested taking over the world. They just wanted to kick the French out and then kick us out. Um, So then what do I do with that? Because my brain is saying, this wasn't to defend America, it was for something else and might have been an error. I come down to the only thing I can do with it
1: Like how you so, talk about Carl in the third person.
0: Yeah, <laughs> because <laughs> I'm now analyzing. It's,
1: it's kind of like Alan Iverson talking about himself in the third person. The uh, no, but I, could I, I, you, it's like you stand apart and then you look at Carl, and, yeah. and, and, and in very in very stark terms. Um, yeah. Go ahead. What, I, I about. About,
0: well, what's that all about? I mean, but what what basically I had to had to decide was it was about my own. accepting that I would get into rages that I kill people in, in, in rages uh, it, that's part of who I am and learning to accept that um, makes me understand who I am and I think that without that kind of reflection um, you know you're less of a human
1: Guest this morning, Carl uh, Marlanis, uh, former First Lieutenant, United States Marine Corps, a veteran of, uh, of the war in Vietnam, uh, a writer. In, uh, his books, Matterhorn and What It's Like to Go to War. And uh, he uh, he joins us very graciously to talk about the, the aftermath of Vietnam. And Carl, uh, we've got to take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we'll continue our discussion. we got a couple email, and uh, we'll continue uh, our discussion with it. Uh, a discussion you won't hear any place other than All Marine Radio. So, thanks for listening. Uh, more of that coming up as uh, we continue on this uh, on this uh, what is it Wednesday edition of all Marine radio. More of uh, that next uh, don't go anywhere. You're listening to all Marine radio on the All Warrior Radio network.
0: Something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there, telling me I got to beware. I think it's time we stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody, look what's going down.
1: A little bit of music from the time. Uh, Yeah, bring bring back good or bad memories, Carl. Little well, bo- it, little, boy?
0: Yeah, little both. I mean, the uh, it was definitely. Uh, I mean, I don't know if the right word is. I mean, the '60s. The '60s actually happened in about three years. I mean, in 1965. I mean, you know, girls couldn't stay out after 11, and you know, everybody was wearing sort of you know loafers and plaid skirts, and the boys had you know uh, <laughs> jackets when they went to. You know, I mean. And then, then between like 65 and 69, the whole world exploded, and you know, I mean, it, it just, it, you know, so '60s wasn't a decade; it was about a four-year period, and 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 we went crazy. And a song like that it brings it back. Something happened in here. Uh, it was a very interesting time to be alive. Um, yeah, I, I miss a lot of about it. A lot of, I mean, I miss intensity. And uh, I can't know if they sort out because the war was also a huge part of the intensity of it. But I don't know if we live that intensely anymore. And maybe, maybe it's a good thing. I mean, you know, if you
1: live that intensely, you might just, yeah. might just crack up. The, um, I remember, uh, going, I, I went to Catholic school, right? So, and we, So we had to carpool because it wasn't within walking distance. And I remember the public school kids, I remember them walking in front of the car. Right, and so in like 1965, they waited on the curb and, you know, the car went by. Mm-hmm. 1968, they walked right in front of it. Looked yeah. right, yeah. Looked, looked right at my dad. And, uh, <laughs> probably
0: flipped their middle finger at you. I mean, yeah, yeah. what yeah. the hell is going on? Oh, it was, it, I mean, really, truly, it was, it was an enormous upheaval. Right. Um, I think that it's, um I, I don't know, I mean, I'm not a historian, but to, to try and explain, how, how it was, but I mean, the only thing I can think of is that it was, the pot was actually simmering. I mean, just think of racism. I mean, I, I've run into guys who, who said, oh, we didn't have any racism, racism when I was in the Army. I said, well, when, when we were in the Army, 1965. I said, well, there wasn't any racism in America, because nobody would talk about it. And then suddenly somebody said, whoa, what's going on? This is really unfair. Guys that serve in the Marine Corps go back home and can't drink at the same water fountain. And then, the, then it exploded, and, and what exploded was this huge decades-long buildup. And I think that so the 60s was, was just the sort of a, the, the steam that finally burst out of the boiler. Uh, the boiler was cooking for decades, but we didn't notice or didn't want to notice.
1: We're talking about the aftermath of Vietnam, and uh, you write about, um, you said it was important to, to your book, Matterhorn, uh, that that racism be a part of it because it was part of your experience. How did that? How did seeing the egalitarianism of combat impact after you came back and the whole struggle with race race relations?
0: Well, um, it was very important to me. I, um, I'm, I give this example, and people are sort of amazed about it. But I had never. I had never talked to a Mexican person. I grew up in a logging town in Oregon until I was in the Marine Corps, and I—I uh, was—and <laughs> was, it was Delgado, this guy I talked to about earlier. His mother sent him some food and, uh, you know, a care package, and he opens it up, and and the, you know the, the the Mexican kids in the company were like, hey, and I, and I saw Gore, and I I, I say, what's that, Ray? And he he says, oh, I says that's a tamale. But I had never even seen a Tamale in my life. Well, when you get in the Marine Corps in the jungle and everybody depends on everybody, that all disappears. And and I used to just feel so sad because, I mean, I I was just talking to a guy at a reunion just the other day about this. We would just be pulling together, all of us. There was no color but green, the old cliché. Right. We would go back to the rear area.
1: Hey, Carl, but let me, Carl, let me, that whole, that cliché, there is no color but green. That's not a bullshit statement, though. When when you when, no. you're, when you're fighting, there is there is no color. There is no color. That's absolutely right. You you're just
0: there with your brother. And, and believe me, I think that the, one of the great things about the Vietnam War see nothing's black and white. But, I mean, everything's sort of a mixture. Is that the races were afraid of each other, and didn't trust each other. But if, if if some guy who's a different color than you says, I'll be there at 0400 on your left flank and he is there every time, you you start to go like, whoa, he's no different than I am. And he's as confident as I am. And uh, I hope that I can back him up like he's backing me up. It really is a, a, a marvelous, wonderful thing about being in the Marine Corps and being in combat. And the tragedy was is that even in the, even with guys that you were that close to, you'd come back to a rear area. You'd split up right. you did not want to be the only white boy when the when the shit hit the fan, a bunch of bunch of brothers, or vice versa. You didn't want to be the only brother with a bunch of your white friends if things went down, and things would go down. Right. And so people split up for protection, fear. Well, I think we got through that. I talk to guys today, and they say you had that. You had racism like that in the Marine Corps yeah we did, but we did make some progress
1: well, I mean, but as you said, I mean we it was in our society,
0: you know? yeah and and it was and, and the military reflects the society right. it comes from there's no doubt about it, and uh the thing that was good is the civil rights movement, the the freedom marchers, the changing of the law, I mean, up until that point, the government had laws that supported racism, right. well they changed in the 60s. That was a big change. But where the rubber hit the road was, can we work together? And and in Vietnam, the races learn to work together. And then it's the tragedy that they come back, and, they, and the rest of the, civil, the civilian population doesn't have that intensity right. or, or aren't thrown into the necessity of the other person having to rely on the other person. And so it takes a lot longer.
1: The uh, Carl, email question for you, Carl. Uh, Mac, um, enjoy the first interview and am likewise enjoying this, uh, Mr. Marlanis. Great writer, great example of a Marine, and I love the way he shares his personal anecdotes with us. Uh, I certainly uh, have have learned from him. My question: What did he feel when Saigon fell, and ultimately had to deal with the fact that Vietnam was lost? The last, the pictures of the last Marine, Huey, coming off that rooftop. Uh, the pictures of helicopters being shoved off flight decks of, of aircraft carriers because there was too many of them, the boat people, and all the terrible stories. Does he remember where he was uh, when he heard that news and what he felt?
0: I remember very well. Um, I was in San Francisco. I was working, and uh, I felt immense sadness, sadness, sadness. Uh, at the waste of it all, that it had come to this, and that, and quite frankly, the stupidity of it all. Um, I was overwhelmed with sadness. Uh, later, you know, things came in like, you know, a little bitterness and, um, you know, anger at stupid policies. But my immediate reaction was just the immense waste of lives, loss of my friends, and. It ended up like that, which is it could have ended up like that without any of that going on. And, you know, I'll get a little political here. I think it's because we failed to see what you really go to war for. You don't go to war to try and change other people's countries' ideas about how they want to live, whether they're under duress from a dictatorship or not. You go to war to defend your values and your people. And defend is the right word, my, my opinion. And you don't end up in problems like that if you're if you're doing it for the right reason, but not a pacifist. I'm, like I tell people, I'm not anti-war. Right. I'm just anti-stupid war.
1: You know what? I'm, I like that position. The um, uh, an, Another email question. Uh, Mac, I'm uh, listening and love the interview. And I too shared your feelings relative to the loss of Hellman that we're on the verge of. Did it ever cause him to act out? I find myself yesterday, I was on edge. And I'm curious how he dealt with that when he was on edge. So Carl, did it, did, you know, I think most of us can feel it inside of us when we, I don't know what you call it, but when you're kind of tingling and you know you're irritated and yeah. uh, that, that the blood that did, I think helps you fight um it starts moving around in your body because you 're animated for whatever reason how did you how did you is there a way that you dealt with it or did you just
0: go oh, about, yeah, go about life first of all it was a it was a process I was unconscious of it I had never heard of post traumatic stress never heard of it I can remember you know talking to guys you know very soon after the war guys had been been with me um you know, do you guys get nightmares? No, I don't get nightmares. I must be just BS. I mean, who gets nightmares? Well, you know, ten or fifteen years later, we're all having nightmares. So it takes a little bit of time. I call this—I call that feeling—you know, starting to feel a little flaky. Um, but it is. It is it's adrenaline. It's—it's—it's it's, it's, uh, a little bit of anger, uh, all mixed in there, and how you deal with it. I—I um, I, I didn't learn this overnight. I mean, I learned this over a period of long time. And I think that the way that I've dealt with it is that I first of all recognize that it's a feeling. that's coming from memories. It's coming from positions of, that I hold that, that this is countering. And I try to sort of just feel it and then separate myself from it in a sense that I don't, I don't deny it. I feel it because the other way of doing it is to just screw it I'm just going off to work and repress it it'll bite you in the end um, I'm reminded of of, of
1: call for you Uh, the number here uh, 714-884-4294 you can send a text to 714-661-8107 and you can email radio at gmail.com good morning Uh, you're on with uh, carl Marlanis. go ahead
0: hey i'm a combat veteran of iraq and afghanistan i had a question for your caller um or the guy interviewed today when you look back on vietnam and your experience there how do you look at that well like i was saying before I I have to look at it personally. You, I have to look at it as how did I handle that particular time in my life and those particular things I did, some of which I am proud of and some of which I am not proud of. And I can only and I look at it that way, if I try to, to look at that experience as oh, I saved the world for democracy or I or I defended the United States against, you know, uh, enemies that were threatening us, us I can't justify it that way. Vietnam and, in my opinion, Iraq and Afghanistan uh, are like that. And and so I I fall back on what did that mean for my life? Who am I? Who am I today? And and how do I how do I grow as a as an individual, as a spiritual individual, uh, to incorporate that experience in my life? And that that's where I find my meaning. I can't find meaning and feel paused.
1: Carl, do you regret? Have you ever regretted your involvement in, in the Vietnam War that, that you served there?
0: No, I mean, it, it, as, as, as you know, as much as that, I think it was an error. I just believe it was, like I said, I I I, I joined it out of um, you know honorable reasons. Uh, the fact that, that we were. Misused is is something that I, I regret. I wish it hadn't happened, but I don't regret having been there. Like I said, I who I am is enormously uh, influenced by uh, my experience as a Marine combat veteran. Who I am, I can't say it's not part of me. And so I look at, it, I don't want to be anybody else. I like who I am, <laughs> and since I like who I am, I have to accept that. That experience of mine is one I don't regret. It's just, it's part of my life. And I wish I could have had more of the sort of World War II veterans experience, which is that, yeah, I had all those experiences. And in addition, we saved the world from fascism. But well, that's that's nice. Right. But, you know, quite frankly, my dad and my uncles, who were all combat veterans, they didn't think about that, right. really. They thought about the friends they lost. They right. thought about, as you see, that experience doesn't change. So, it, again, it goes back personal
1: i guess that there i mean i guess as a secondary thought you know that good came out of it uh i guess would they would find comfort in um as opposed to um having to um grapple with the fact that you know maybe no good came out of what i did but that that and then you know i think what you do and what you're talking about is being able to separate that i had no control over that the only thing I had control over is could could I be a good fellow Marine? Could I be a, a good person? Could I act honorably and could I um, could I equip myself well uh so that I could live with the the outcomes for the rest of my life? And I think you're talking about which maybe the, the the seminal lesson of today which is you have to be able to come to, to, to uncouple what the nation does with what you did ultimately at the n- end of the day because the only thing you can control um is what you did. And
0: so yeah. No, well, I I um I, I talk about it in my book. I had a wonderful got drunk with Joseph Campbell one night. <laughs> uh and um and I was feeling guilty about killing a kid. And I just was feeling guilty about it. And all these thoughts, I mean what was that all about? I mean, you know, here we are we see, you know, helicopters being thrown off the aircraft carriers. We, just, we were just running with our tail between our legs. And, um, and so he said to me, he said, look, he said, did you have any choice over where you were born? You were born in Astoria, Oregon. Did the kid you kill have any choice over where he was born? He was born in some village in North Vietnam. Um, no. And he said, um, you're just on the opposite side in this world of opposites. We live in this world of opposites. All you can do is that when you were over there, did you do your job with a noble heart? I started to cry because I didn't have any control. If I had been born in North Vietnam, I'd have been in the NBA. But I wasn't. I was born in Oregon. So I was in the Marines. All you can do is do do it with a noble heart. And I tried. And I failed at points. But basically, I tried. And... uh, so I, so, so I came away with it. it's just what you're, the way you expressed it is: what can you, what do you have some control over, and if you have, if you have a noble heart, if you're trying to do it for the right reasons, I'm trying to, you know, keep my guys safe. I'm trying to get the objective accomplished. Those are all reasons that that anybody with a noble heart would would do. And there were times when I have to admit that I lost my temper and killed people. You know, that was not good. So I have to accept that. Wow. Well.
1: You know, again, so if you're unable to uncouple the, you can see why the mighty struggle that the Vietnam veteran has in that, you know, judge it as a failure from the national perspective, the strategic, achieving strategic objective, no doubt a failure. Come home and you get treated like garbage, right? You get told to stuff your experience in the -the jack-in-the-box and close the lid. And, and you probably ought to stay away from the hand crank too. And, uh, and then, you know, you, you sit and you stare in your, at your scotch glass and you see the different faces. And I will tell you, for those of you who've never been to war, there's a scene in, uh, Carl, did you watch Band of Brothers? Yes, I did. What did you think of that?
0: I thought it was one of the great television
1: series. What?
0: Why? And, and I thought it was the best. Hmm? Why? Why? Uh,
1: I thought there were so many little things from the the sounds of rounds in there, um, exactly. to to the looks on faces, to the things that nobody could ever know unless you have that experience. And and I'll tell you, uh, one one of the things that froze me was they attack into Carrington, and, uh, and 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 they're they're attacking into the city on I don't know it's it's not the first episode but it's called Carrington. And the Germans have, I want to say it's probably a 47-millimeter gun on wheels, and they wheel it out of an alley and they shoot it, and it impacts. And the Jewish guy, Leipgott, they're fighting into the city. All of a sudden, one of his buddies just, it hits near him, and all of a sudden the guy's kind of wobbling, and you see Leipgott's face, and he looks and he says, hey, buddy, you're okay. And now the guy slowly turns, and Leipgott goes to him, and he goes, it's okay, man. Well, part of the guy's eyes hanging out, part of his face is gone, and part of his, his foot is gone and his foot's smoking. And yeah. the tenderness that you see, you know I mean, you know, I, I'll get emotional if I start thinking about it too much, but it's what you see in real life. It's yeah. not this it's, it's not Sergeant Rock screaming and yelling. It's these yeah. incredibly difficult, intimate moments. And I thought, Band of brothers, Communicated that more than anything, and, I, and what you were just talking about brings back a scene in my head, and I and I want you to walk there with me. Um, the, the the lead character in it, um, Lieutenant Winners, he's he's going to lead a charge to take out a machine gun at an intersection in broad daylight, and he says, and then he says, follow me, and he takes off running across the field, and his guys look at him, and I think he told them to count to five and then follow him. And they start running. He's sprinting. He goes over this road. He looks down, and there's a young German soldier that looks to be 18 years old in his greatcoat. And he turns and he looks at him, and he's just shocked. And his eyes get big, and he's 18, and he shoots him in the chest and kills him. Yeah. And he can't get the video out of his head as the the episodes keep going. He's haunted by this, you know, good-looking young kid that looks like he could have been from... You know Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, or some yeah. other from from Seaside, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that kind of vivid stuff? Did that bring oh, back your your memories?
0: Yeah, no, I mean I, that's why I I thought it was a great series. I mean, um, just precisely that stuff, and, and I mean even more details. It's like they're they look like they're they're heating their rifle sights with with the, the cigarette <laughs> lighters. And, uh, and most of been in combat, We go, oh, I hate their rifles. What they're doing is they're putting carbon on their sights because they were in the snow, so they needed a better sight picture with carbon on the, on the front post. I mean, They didn't say a word about that. They just did it, and, and a combat veteran would understand what they were doing. The Germans that they were fighting there had round helmets instead of those coal scuttle helmets because they were fighting a parachute reg- uh, regiment right. who had different helmets than the German Army. They didn't say a word about that. And someone interviewed Hank, who was one. Of, I guess he was the producer. Right. Why did you do this? Why did you pay so much attention to detail like that? And Hank said, because these guys that this is about are still alive. And you see what the underlying feeling behind that theory is. Someone like Hank saying they're still alive. We are not. Honor them by glossing stuff over or by not remembering the details. These guys are still alive; they deserve it. And uh, that that permeated that
1: that series. I think it made it a great series. The vivid nature of all the effects are, I mean, and, and to me, most notably was the sound. When you hear the, when you heard those snaps, those snaps. Yes. Yeah. That's how it sounds. And you, when you hear when you heard, you know the. The thud of some around hitting something. I mean, those those noises were unnerving. Um, I think to a lot of people. the uh, oh,
0: sure. The yeah, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. All right, Carl. A final question for you before I let you go. So when you when you if you gave advice relative to aftermath of of war, especially you know for both uh, conflicts that, that a lot of Marines have participated in lately, um, you know, the jury is still out. But it looks like the jury's leaning for acquittal, um, and so what advice would you give them? It, what advice would I give them about how to how to process the aftermath, how to process the
0: fact that they've been fighting in this this last 16 years of war, and and that in fact it looks looks like, if I get you right, it may all end up as if we hadn't been there
1: in the first place. Well, even worse that that, that our efforts. Yeah, we made had, it have made yeah. it worse. We've destabilized the Middle East and, <clears throat> and we've impacted Europe.
0: Yeah. I think that the only advice I, I can I can give people is one, you have to just get philosophical about being a member of the human race. And we are flawed. We make really, really big mistakes and the very you know the seven deadly sins. You mentioned you went to Catholic school I'm a Catholic too. So <laughs> the seven deadly sins—you know, pride, greed, avarice—those, when you're when you're when you're just in a corporation or you're working for the school district, they don't count for much. But when you, but those same same human flaws, when it becomes a war, get magnified horribly, and that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with human flaws. To get us into these conflicts, and then when we conduct ourselves in these contexts with these same flaws, the the the, the results of those flaws uh, are magnified horribly. And so you have to just sit back and say, look, we're flawed. We're we're a flawed creature, and I'm one of them. And and try to just you know accept it. it I mean, this won't be the last stupid war. I'm afraid, <laughs> you know. But we happen to be. Fighting it, and and I personally, you know, if I'm a veteran of that war fought in it, now what? Second step is what I'm, I keep hammering here. What does it mean for me? I can't justify it. I you know I saved the United States from the Taliban. Sorry, they weren't attacking us. Um, in fact, it was Al Qaeda, and I believe we should have gone after them. And when they left and we went to Pakistan, we should have. Figured I did.
1: About Ray Delgado's niece standing behind him at the wall, and the story about the Tamales. A lot of par- a lot of parallels relative to the comra- camaraderie that we feel today. Yet the same sinking feeling relative to Operation Enduring Freedom that what we fought for is slipping away. The um, well, Carl. First of all, let me tell you, uh, I can't do this often enough. So I hope you don't mind me bugging you on occasion. But uh, um, uh, again, I, I what I love is. Uh, no, Vietnam veterans have been through so much in our country, and uh, they are—they are the repository of tremendous experience and, and and sage advice for those of us who are who, who are not that far down that path. And so, uh, I love having you on, and uh, and uh, tell me about uh, when are we going to look for your book? Another
0: year? Well, um, <laughs> if I could not keep getting distracted by the internet, I uh, am <laughs> hoping to get get a final draft done. You know, um, by next. Wow. So. well all
1: right all right well hey i would ask you if you ever get down to the southern california area let me know and i'd I sure love to will. i'd love to buy you dinner and uh, and meet you in person i i appreciate your your thoughtful comments and uh and uh enjoy having you on and uh, thank you and very much for doing well, this, this this morning
0: nice to be on because i sort of feel like i can connect with the marines it always
1: makes me feel good well so thank you let me tell you I, I told you before we came on the the air that uh and 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 I'll I'll, I'll I'll impose on you by asking you to tell it again. But the single thing that I get the most feedback on is uh your Lance Corporal squad leader asking you about uh about being a Rhodes Scholar and going to Yale. So
0: when, <laughs> Marine, can I, I, Marine, can I use the F word on there? Absolutely, Marines. i right. have uh, well, abs- the been there. I'd been there for you know a few weeks, and by this time the kids figured out I was a, I was an okay person, and they could actually approach me. And, uh, my squad leader comes up to me. He, he, he had turned, he, he, he had his 19th birthday as a, as a squad leader. He was a Lance Corporal, but he was really good. And he comes up to me and he goes, sir, he says, are they, are they bullshitting? I are are think bullshitting us about you being a Yale and a Rhodes Scholar. And I said, Jake, no, they're not bullshitting you. He looks at me and he says, you must be the dumbest fucking Rhodes Scholar on record.
1: <laughs> How did you respond to that?
0: I, I broke out laughing because I had, I had to agree with him at some point. <laughs> well, why am I here? I could I could be in Oxford at a pub drinking
1: beer. You know? <laughs> that is so hilarious. Yeah. Uh, you know what? But I think most Marines, when they hear that, they can absolutely picture that.
0: Totally, you
1: know, absolutely, absolutely. Picture yeah. that. All right, yeah. Carl. First of all, thank you very much. And again, I will uh, our paths will cross in person, and uh, I, you will be, come back on uh, uh, frequently because uh, I love having you on your commentary. Great, talk and uh, and great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Okay. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah, Carl Marlanis. Uh, how about that? I think that is absolutely hilarious. And. Uh, <laughs> No, but you know what the, the thing I like most is um, I like um, I like their advice, their experience and and you know these thoughtful guys that have gone before us and you know I mean yesterday, I was pissed man I was pissed uh you know what you fight for it's gonna go away, really that's okay and uh you know and let me tell you Carl's advice uh, and, and again, his experience very much different from uh from General Drowdy's. And um so um again, I wanted to I wanted to have him on and uh so you know the the, the two of them, you know, General Drowdy stays in and becomes a general officer and then Carl Marlis gets out and is a writer and a businessman and, and whatnot. So Hi, this is Mike McNamara and you're listening to All Marine Radio On your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network.